Cradleine Network. Seventh episode of Space Spinner 2000, the podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from the weekly progs and once more venturing into the exciting world of special editions. In this case, the 1992 Winter Special. It's the fourth Winter Special, and even though this guy took the year off in 1991, it's now back and still a scam with a cover price of £2.35. This year, we've got a Pat Mills-heavy special with a massive new and some classic Nemesis the Warlock stories and the backstory of ABC Warriors Black blood along with judge dread and more <laughs> but before we get to that let's welcome back my guests for this show sheridan of the back frog act blog welcome aboard Conrad. Well, welcome how I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have you back on here it's been a little while i think the last time you were on the show was for the rogue trooper annual is that right that's it yep Oh, man, these many years ago and these Michael Fleischer adventures. Oh, jeez. Oh. <laughs> it's so promising, but wasn't it? You, like, you know, we, we, we could have had it all, you know, yeah. but in, instead, whatever. Um, but now we're back with this special. Um, I, 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 I will say, of course, I'm a big fan of your, um, of, of your prog slog blog, which I love to say because it's got a lot of those og sounds. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the back prog hack, although I know it's been, it's been dormant for, a, for a little while, but I hope there's, there's plans to revive it because I need to see all these prog slog. I need yep. to see this prog slogging. Yeah, I won't <laughs> say why here, but yeah, there is a reason, but it did have a bit of a hitch. It's because the latest sure. thing, the latest thing I'm covering on there is different to what I've covered previously, and it's a lot heftier to get through. So once sure. I've actually got Oops. through that, I'm going to have to rethink how I tackle this kind of mystery thing again in future. I think I'll have to start sure. a bit earlier. See what? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I th- yeah. What oh, I have, sorry. Yeah, what I've been doing up till now is read something, write about it, publish it, and mm-hmm. the thing that I'm stuck on at a moment is. It can't really be done in that way. So the next thing that mm-hmm. I come across like that, I'm going to have to start earlier and kind of do it concurrently while I'm doing the regular stuff. So hopefully, yeah, for sure, yeah. it'll be more regular in it's future. It's tough. There's all these. Oh, oh, that that's awesome. Yeah, like you know, I, I, and I think honestly, like you know. It's as we go through 2020 and into 2021. It's hard to blame anybody for yeah. sort of putting a uh, p- putting a, a a side creative endeavor aside for a while or something like that. Yeah. I feel like you've got to be you, you've got to let folks have some grace in terms of taking breaks from stuff yeah. in these in this last couple whatever. But hopefully by the like time yeah. year and a half or so. Yeah. Hopefully by the time everyone gets to listen to this that we're recording today, it'll be back on track. Ooh, fantastic. All right. But so getting into the special, I guess, did you read this special when it came out? Do you have any like uh, memories of, of, of this one in, in, in particular, the 92 special? Yeah. So, Winter special? So when I first got into 2000 AD in the mid-80s, I remember that the specials were special and the animals were special as well. They're all good. I think about mm-hmm. this time... Um, they weren't so good to me 
you know they weren't mm. they weren't as good as the eighties versions. But looking back, the winter, sure, winter yeah. specials seem to be a bit better than the summer specials. But I do remember this one that we're going to cover today was better than any of the others we'd had for a while, which is why I've chosen it. <laughs> I could see that. I mean, I think what's really, you know, and, and, and we should talk about this at the end maybe, but what's really interesting about this special is that it is really focused on like older stuff or like these more classic things and stuff. Um, yeah. There's no... Like, there's no Alan McKenzie story in this one, I've noticed, which there seems to be in every other um, 2000 AD um, release, I guess, or special. Um, yeah. Like, it seems very, very, very focused on some of the content that they're, or on, on, on the content they're putting out in this one, I guess. I yeah. don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know. It's like, hmm. I'm trying to think about. I, I feel like the last winter special has just f- like f- fallen off my mind like water off a duck's back. You know, I remember the 89 one, of course, because we had Chris Weston on on for that one to talk about his Rogue Troopers story. Yeah. Um, friend of the show. It does seem friend of the. Yeah. Listen, hey, everybody is. Um, but it does seem like with these winter specials, they do like to get one really big story in here, which I think is a cool is a cool thing to have, honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess, I don't know, with that, we can jump right in to the special itself. Um, on the cover, it's, it's a Chilling Tales for Cold Winter Nights, as Kev Walker draws this kind of crowded cover featuring Black Blood from ABC Warriors, Nemesis the Warlock, and Judge Dredd. Um, I'm always happy to see the Warlock on the cover. It's been a long time, I feel like, since we've had a lot of Nemesis stuff. I guess we had the Nemesis and... Uh, nemesis and deadlock things recently in the prog but yep. not no, no solo nemesis since deathbringer back with uh, john hinklinton yeah it's been a while yeah although and i i i think this is kind of a crowded cover actually you've got like it feels like especially like dread and nemesis like dread's like looking over nemesis's shoulder and like his guns sort of like snaking around nemesis's body and stuff like that everybody's everybody's rushing to get to get seed yeah. in this image here <laughs> But so then we go into... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, Dredd's in half yeah. cover there, isn't it? It's obviously a tactical yeah, decision very, there. Just a little, little tiny dread, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so then we go into the inside cover, which is the uh, the, the table of contents for this one. Um, I guess it's it's kind of similar to what to the nerve centers we're seeing in the progs in the, in, in, in the early 800s here with this one picture of Tharg. Um, he calls us, he says, he calls, he calls us creeplets, borectong creeplets. I don't like it. Um, and so I'm guessing this is for a creepy, chilling kind of Halloween style. Yeah, greeting. absolutely. Yeah. All these, all these specials and annuals and stuff this year have had themes. And so I guess the theme for the winter special is that it's like a spooky, creepy nerve. It's a spooky, creepy 2080 story, I guess. Yep. Yeah, Rebellion it's tends like, to know, do kind of Halloween winter specials because that's about the time they come out. But I hadn't yeah, realized and, 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 that yeah. IBC did that as well. I mean, they haven't, they, they don't always do this. And I remember that, like, I think the Judge Dredd special, the mega special in 1991 was like the spooky one. I think they, they try to do one scary special, it seems like. Yeah. Like where we can get some spooky stories in here or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, but otherwise, and, and then there's just sort of the contents, and each uh, story's got a brief, um, 
like a one sentence log line or something. And I appreciate, um, as opposed to the action special, which we looked at um, earlier this week, it, it, here the table of contents is actually correct. It doesn't, it's not, um, <laughs> everything's in order and on the right pages and stuff, which, you know, listen. It, it helps. Yeah, it's fine. It's more just like, um, I don't know, you miss it when it's not there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> And also, I, I should say that this, it, it mentions itself as a Burton and McKenzie uh, bespoke grave robber production. So just the standard editorial staff here. Although having these names with the quotation marks makes it feel very uh, Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, which, you know, was in play in 1992. So I don't know. It does. <laughs> but Simpsons wasn't very big in the UK, though, back then. Oh, you, of course you're right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I... As an American, that's what it feels like. But yeah, that, I'm. But maybe, maybe they've had a table, in. or they've been to America and seen it. But it does look very Simpsons Treehouse. Yeah, or I mean, well, I guess, or they could just be stealing from the same thing the Simpsons were borrowing that from, which yeah. I forgot at the top of my head. But I, you got to assume they were, you know. Yep. <laughs> but with that. Listen, I want to talk about these stories, all right? Yes. I'm tired of not talking about it. We got to get to it. And we got to, you know, both do some exciting new things, but build off old things with Thrill One, Nemesis the Warlock. <laughs> Script robot Pat Mills, art robot Chris Weston, letting robot Annie Parkhouse, Nemesis, Parthenogenesis. All right. <laughs> Oh, uh, it's been a long t- like I said, it's been a long time since we've seen solo Nemesis. Yeah. I, um, uh, Deathbringers back in '89, though of course we uh, we have seen him um, cross over with Deadlock, but that's a little different. I guess he's a different kind of character when he's crossing over. I guess. Yeah, this um, is definitely this story- back on form oh, for me. This is definitely Nemesis back on form. After- Absolutely, yeah, and I love to see Chris Weston drawing uh, drawing Nemesis here. I think he does a really good job of. Um, Bringing his style to uh, to the character, yeah, and I think you know he's so good at you know from Killing Time and stuff. We know he's so good with this like cre- like a weird stuff and body horror or whatever else that I think you know he's definitely an artist who I would love to see. Who I think does a really an artist who I would think would be a good fit for this character in a way that sort of other other artists have been as well, like a Brian Talbot or something, yeah. or a Hinklinton or something like that. Yep. Bring something different, um, but still is suited to Nemesis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so this story opens on the evil Torquemada's ex-wife, Candida, who I thought we hadn't seen since uh, Torquemada the God, but you've actually corrected me and say we and, and, and mentioned that we saw her in the uh, in bedtime stories, the Nemesis uh, photo story. Yep. I think we um, had seen her there. And then there was a flashback in an annual for the second honeymoon. Right, yeah. For talking about a uh, honeymoon, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, so she's um, still crazy. She's straight jacket in a big building called uh, Bedlam, which is interesting because because uh, while it is this big kind of overbuilt, like you know, creepy mansion that you'd have an asylum in, actually like the one that the spider was in in the action special that we talked about on Monday. Um, this one still has a very Chris Weston feel as opposed to, I don't know if you go back to like Torquemada of the God where it's by Kev O'Neill. Yep. I believe that this same building is like shaped like a demon full of like war and like holes and <laughs> stuff like that. <clears throat> it's, it's a big difference. Um, when su- But she's in this building when suddenly a wandering jongler with a weird like pipe organ, keytar, bagpipe kind of thing 
sends um bubble like music note bubbles up to her cell i guess or just in the area i suppose um he gets hassled by some terminator cops and i really like that these uh, cops have like they have their sort of terminator like warhammer 40k kind of uniforms here with these pointy pointy helmets and things but because they're cops the helmets also have that uh checkerboard or a silito tartan around the uh, the middle of the hat, which I know that, like, police officers in England have, for instance, and certain ones in the U.S. do, too. I hadn't so they, noticed. Like, uh, yeah. I had not noticed that. Thanks for pointing that it's out. It's just, like, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird addition, but it's because uh, first I was like, are these race cops? Like they've got like checkered flags on their yeah. heads. But no, it's because, you know, it's what cops have. So, that, you know, not, and so, you know, these are police officers, I guess. <laughs> um, but so instead of arresting him, the jongler basically manages to um, like old Jedi mind trick his way to see Candida. And when he does, he plays the music of the spheres for her. And as he does... He takes off his coat and you can see that he's got like, um, besides just having pointed ears, he's got a bunch of what seemed like wounds or like scars on his body that are clearly the markings of, you know, Nemesis the Warlock, basically. Like he's got a thing on his throat that's like Nemesis's baleen and like a hole in his head for where his horns will be and stuff. And indeed, as he plays, he turns into Nemesis and um, his music seems to... Um, calm nemesis calm candida's um fevered state and bring her back to sanity or something and i should say this is very similar to the plot of that bedtime stories um st- uh photo story from the progs yep which also also had nemesis like sort of counseling or trying to help cure uh candida yeah sort of under the nose of uh, Tokamata, i guess so uh, s- s- sorry go ahead um, yeah, so it's a little bit like the Battle of Clontarf, which first appeared in one of the annuals and then was retold in Slain. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this absolutely. Is, this is yeah, kind of the other sort way of like, around. Yeah. It's kind of the same. It possibly is the same events, but told a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Depending on how you feel about continuity. I feel like, I especially when it comes to Pat Mills, continuity yeah. is not uh, not a focus. Yeah. <laughs> it's there, but you shouldn't worry about it too much. <laughs> Um, so seemingly cured Nemesis and Candida laugh and make plans and soon the jongler leaves and uh, Nema- and Candida summons Torquemada, who I guess is fresh back from his adventures through time and like Deathbringer and stuff like that. Um, she says she's sane and in love with Torquemada. She takes off his helmet and Torquemada's got a really interesting look here because it seems like to me like he's had like a buff Torquemada, you know, handsome Torquemada face um, like sewn on to his like current one, I guess. Maybe as he's still recovering from his wounds after the events of death of uh, the two Torquemadas and then Deathbringer. He certainly had a rough time recently. It does look like you can see the back of his skull. Yeah, like like the back of his skull is exposed. And then he's got this big metal, like, um, collar kind of poking out of his clothes and stuff. Like, it just seems like he's, like, in traction or something like that. And they've just sort of, you know, in their in their, in their rough Terminator way, just jammed a, fa- a, a good-looking face on there so he can sort of <laughs> do his day-to-day work, you know? Yep. Though he does still have the uh, the nose um, bandage that was such a, a big part of Torquemada in those Inklinton days, I think. <laughs> um. So she says she's sane and in love with Torquemada. Okay, said that. Uh, 
She says everything that Torquemada would want to hear for this stuff. So, of course, he wants to remarry her. Um, But there is just the small problem of Torquemada's current wife, Sister Stern, who I definitely think we haven't seen since Torquemada the God. Um, And this is our first time seeing her. And I guess actually um, almost everybody, I guess, um, in in color. We sort of see her um, with a painted white face with her Grace Jones flat top and like leather jumpsuit and stuff like that. Looking very cool. Yep. Torquemada lays out the situation here and Stern picks it up automatically. She's clearly willing to do anything for Torquemada. And that means that she then goes to uh, to kiss a random guard, which triggers the bomb that Torquemada has had implanted in her skull for if she's unfaithful to him. And so her head explodes and takes the guard with him, with her. Yeah. And now Torquemada's a widower, so he, so he can get remarried. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Good to, you know, I do no, just love these little callbacks to the past of uh, of the story and things like yeah, that. No lengthy dis- divorce courts here. No, it's fine. You know, whatever. That's why you have these pro- little provisions, I guess. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, that guard was not very willing to begin with. And yeah, I like how there's just that little bit of dark humor where even though he's going to basically commit suicide, he says, this, because this is the first and last time I'll ever kiss, I ask you, Sister Stern, give it plenty of tongue. <laughs> Kabam! Blows <laughs> right in his face. <laughs> he looks a little bit like one of the, not Mark's brothers, the other ones. Uh, oh yeah, like, yeah, he's he's got a mo haircut, that sort of bowl cut, like the Three Stooges. That's it, for Three sure. Stooges, yep. Although I think, I don't know, I feel like that bowl cut's also like a medieval thing or yeah. something like that. I don't uh, think that's intentional, but that's just what he looks like to me. <laughs> for sure it's, it's, it's not like travels with my shrink where the three stooges yeah. feature heavily um <laughs> the next week candida and torquemada are wed um again like with their previous wedding i guess we i, I feel like there are some allusions to the royal wedding here especially with all of the uh all of the press coverage um though to me the heavy use of gold and green in everybody in both like sort of the people's cost like uh, costumes for the wedding and, and like candida's wedding dress and stuff make it actually feel like a loki wedding almost like the <laughs> uh like the version of loki from like marvel comics and stuff yeah and then she's also got horns on her wedding outfit yeah exactly yeah that that too yeah yeah the uh her veil has these built-in horns that are also very loki like so i don't know <laughs> I don't know if that was Loki in this era, but, you know, if you showed this to someone who was really into Loki um, when they were planning their wedding, I think you could definitely get some positive reactions. Yep. <laughs> Maybe not so much this blue guy, you know, doing the the, the heil or whatever, but that's how it, that's how it goes. Um, meanwhile, Torquemada's looking very, like, uh, 40K fabulous, I said um, in, in my notes. Um in his in this blue uniform with like a built-in shoulder like a shield on one shoulder and sashes and medals and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um they say their vows. There's kind of a funny part where like the uh priest asks if um or swear has them swear never to have truck with the alien and Torquemada's like, Why are you asking me that? I'm I'm literally Torquemada here. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't be stupid, he says. And so they begin the ceremony in full, and Candida says she's written her own vows. And 
as she removes her veil. And then as she begins her vow, she throws the veil at Torquemot and starts roasting him. She'll never, ever, ever be involved with another sick, nasty piece of work like him. She calls him a cheat and a liar and a loser and reveals that she's not here to marry Torquemada. She's here to marry Nemesis. Oh, the scandal. <laughs> And that sort of fades out from there. And we, you know, talk about it's like, no, not him. And we cut to the press waiting outside the church to see the happy couple. But instead, it's a nemesis and Candida running out in leaving a trail of bodies behind them. Like there's, you know, like one guard has had his eyes put out. One guy's got a sword through his chest and stuff like that. The blitz spear comes crashing in. And they pile into it and take off. And all of this is televised. Pursuit. All of this is televised, of course. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. There's there there's uh, there's press covering it all and making snide comments. And indeed, as the Torco, as the uh, Blitz Spear takes off, complete with uh, just married and cans tied to the back. Uh, Torquemada slashes the uh, slashes the upper torso off of one of the reporters <laughs> that's covering yeah. the event. And that reporter did s- describe Torquemada as demented. And yeah. y- you just don't do that, do you? That reminded yeah, me. Yeah, look- that reminded me of when uh, someone called Judge Cow crazy. Right. <laughs> right. There's just there's just certain things you don't want to say to the person in to someone in person. Right. Yeah. You'll hit some hit some rough nerves. Yes. You know, and I I love the look of this of just this guy like his um like from shoulder to chest just flying off as uh as Torquavada cleaves a bit twain. Yep. Um. So the happy couple. Uh. Or so. Uh, yeah. They take. So Nemesis and Candida uh, take off. And um, they finally uh, drive off someplace relatively safe. Candida's going to head and uh, have some fun at Nova Amsterdam, the planet Nova Amsterdam, because she hasn't had fun, very, had very much fun at all for the last couple years. And as a wedding gift, uh, Nemesis removes the bomb from her head, which is nice. Yeah. Sort of does some red or some uh, Temple of Doom stuff to kind of pull it out. But then, yeah, she's good to go. Later, Torquemada is torturing the asylum guard that lets Nemesis in. When it looks like there's just security problem in general, Nemesis says, "You've got, um, you guys have to work about, um, like you've got pure and vigilance covered, but the but or the sorry, pure you've behave. got pure and behave covered, but you've got to work on vigilance because I'm just walking into all your back doors here." <laughs> um, so, in a very kind of superhero moment, uh, Nemesis confronts. Torquemada and the two of them have a sword fight. Torquemada uses his new sword, Zippo, the, his burning blade of the spirit. But fire doesn't do that much, Nemesis. I feel like we've covered this ground in the past. Yeah, because <laughs> um, in that, in that um, I know you've not covered this, but in a Dice Man uh, Choose Your Own Adventure thing, you do mm-hmm. get uh, fireballs or slime balls, which are acid slime balls. Right. So, so someone who can spit fire, you're not really going to use fire against them, are you? Yeah, usually you're you're immune to it when you can also like uh, spit it. That's sort of the general the general rule. Yeah. But so uh, Nemesis returns by spitting a ball of goo or probably poison or acid or whatever at a Torquemada. Two of them keep fighting again to like sort of a hand to hand fight. Um, Torquemada does what I've always said when you're fighting Nemesis, which is grab his spine. It's right out there, you yeah. know? Um, 
But Nemesis responds by jamming his horns into Torquemada's chest. And this eventually leads to Nemesis winning the fight and Torquemada being at his mercy. But instead of killing him, Nemesis lets him live. The final battle is coming when he will destroy Torquemada forever. And as he walks off, Torquemada swears that he will destroy Nemesis in turn. And that's the end of this story. But of course, the battle between these two will be continued in 2000 AD. Yeah, about five years later. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we'll get a little bit of Nemesis in yeah. 93. I think like a one issue thing. You're getting a shape, again in shape 90- of things to come. I think it's the next thing. Yeah. That's a one off. And then three part Hammer of the Warlocks. Yes. And then there's a long and wait. I think that was in like, yeah, 95 or something like that. And then the end of Nemesis is in the thousands. I've, I've, I've never read. I don't know how it goes. So I'm, that's something I'm, I'm really excited for just to kind of to see someday. Yeah. You know? <laughs> As I say, you're going to have to wait a while <laughs> to come along. Absolutely. Well, you know, listen, waiting's the hardest part or whatever. Yeah. Um, but there's other stories along the way. And also we can reflect on the past of these stories as well, which takes us to Thrill 2, the good, the bad, and the deviant. <laughs> well, script robot Mike, Mike Butcher, art robot Kev O'Neill, Paul Pert, Carl Critchlow, and Simon Harrison. So just a quick text, you know, text piece here by 2000 AD historian Mike Butcher, a very bare bones retelling of the main nemesis stories. But the real money, to my mind, is the pictures in this one. Yeah. So um, I've not I've not seen yeah. these pictures anywhere else. I did have a quick look on Barney to see if any of them had been used as covers and I didn't see any of them. No, I I I want like some of these feel like like, like the Kev O'Neill ones is definitely an old one. Yeah, I think that is from uh, Nemesis book one. So orig- yeah. originally you had him on one side of a double page spread, Torquemada mm-hmm. on the other side, and Torquemada and Nemesis in the middle fighting their way through yeah. termite. And then this Paul Pert one feels like I don't know like. This feels like just something in his portfolio or something, because yeah. we haven't really seen Pert that much. He's done one or two things in the magazine at this point. Yeah, and there's no um, there's no space at the top for a logo or anything. So that I think that is intended yeah. as a style scan. Yeah, yeah, like you say, yeah, it's like a pinup or something yeah. like that. And a sim- um, meanwhile, this Carl Critchlow one is clearly like this. Also, looks like that does have space. Uh, it, it would be. Yeah. Right. So I think this is more of a star scan or something like that. So you'd have the star scan information in there. Because I I think there's not enough space for a 2000 AD logo in this one, I guess. But is sort of the nemesis and and deadlock with the, um, with, you know, nemesis with the book of six o'clock tales for children and the dead monster from their crossover story with all the different uh, wizards and warlocks and stuff. Yep. And, and then the final one's a very cool um, Simon Harrison one. And this looks like maybe just because it's inks or something makes me think it might be something from like a commission or something yeah. like that. Now, you've covered the first book of Revere, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. So Yeah, and we're right on the verge of or, – or no, actually – Sorry, we're recording a little ahead, I believe, but um, by, by, by now we're actually partway into the second book as well. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, no. We've done the second book. Yes. Yeah. Because I do remember That's thinking, right, the like his his early uh, Johnny Alpha and Bradley stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't hate his Strontium Dog stuff, but his Bradley stuff I yeah. was not a fan of. But pictures like this and Revere made me think at a time it wouldn't be too bad if he did 
some nemesis, an actual story? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I would, to me, Simon Harrison actually has some similarities with uh, John Hinklinton, I guess, of these uh, like black and white, lots of inks, lots of like twisted anatomy and stuff like that um, um, looks. And for me Uh, personally, too, I guess, to to an extent. And for me personally, uh, Harrison and Hinklinton, I did not like their work when it first came out at all. Yes, um it's it's yeah, so, yeah, yeah i would say certainly yeah. something bad to grow on you yeah like you say yeah they're also ones that i think if you're used to more conventional comics they can't their art is also very off-putting but once you get a sense of it i think really grows on you and becomes um really cool and really distinctive yeah. i think because i mean i feel like that's what or to me that's what i feel like my big complaint with harrison's strontium dog work is is just that I'm so used to Ascara that yep. um, anyone knew I was going to sort of turn my nose up at. And Harrison, who's so drastically different from Ascara, sort of, there's growing pains, you yeah. know. But I really like this nemesis. Like, he's drawn Nemesis's snout as, like, really long and, like, shovel-like, I guess. Got a big stylized spine. And it looks like his skin's covered in like textured tattoos or something like that. Like it's got a very cool overbuilt look that I think is really awesome. Like really a lot of like really detailed, intricate little pieces um, yep. on his body that I think is neat. I was thinking it's kind of like a medieval kind of motley pattern for clothing. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which you also yeah, got sort a of quite a mix bit of in, checks and scales yeah. and stuff. You also got quite a bit of that in White Dwarf and Warhammer stuff at the time as well. Especially, oh, absolutely. especially yeah, I Warhammer mean, I... Fantasy rather than Warhammer 40k. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean checks is a big part of like orc stuff as well, especially in in uh, in Warhammer. That sort of just have like yeah, just a, a, a steady pattern of things. I think that looks really neat. Also, I, I like that Harrison has um, he's got Nemesis holding the sword sinister, and he's holding it in his left hand, which I appreciate. Um, that's <laughs> because it's the sword sinister. That's a nice touch. Yeah. Absolutely. But hey, after all of this, uh, um, like space stuff and warlocks and demons and whatever, let's just get to a nice little ghost story with Thrill 3, Judge Dredd. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Greg Staples, letting robot Tom Frame. Still early days for Greg Staples here. Yeah. So there's, um, yeah, I should probably have leave this until afterwards, but I'll say it now. Um, yeah, oh. there's there's some good parts of Greg Staples' artwork here, but he it's not as good as the stuff he does now. You know, speaking, sure. speaking I mean, about I think, early work. Yeah, I, I think so many artists are like that. Yeah. You know, you got to evolve. But anyway, let's actually talk about the story first. Yeah, for sure. Um, at Justice Central, a woman, Miss Maybelline Clinch, wants to identify the perps for a robbery at City Usury. She's, you know, fingers the Miller Diller and Art you now hiding out in the Doppler high-rise. But when Dredd asks, the woman won't say where she got the information. But, uh, you know, she's like, no, I, I'll just take my reward. I'd rather not say. Um, but after some heavy yelling, Dredd, uh, Dredd gets her to admit that she was get, given this information by the ghost of her dead husband. And again, she would like that reward. <laughs> Uh, she holds to her story under interrogation, then is sent home as we learned that her husband was one of the top squealers in Mega City One until she died recently, until he died recently in a toaster accident. Oh, no, they're deadly. Um, 
be yeah before they decide to toss her into a coop cube <laughs> because she's crazy or something they do decide to check it out um and indeed finds the perps gunning one down arresting another um and um then has Maybelline ordered back to interrogation like this actually worked like what's going on here you know <laughs> so when Dredd talks to her again, he reveals that he's done his research. Maybelline and her husband hated each other, were constantly fighting and having domestic disturbances and stuff. Um, but she says that he wanted, um, so like, why would she be, why would he be helping her now? And she says, you know, she wanted to take care of her. He wanted to take care of her after her death and stuff, which I guess, I guess kind of makes sense. I don't know. <laughs> but Dredd tosses her in a cube anyway and says that unless her husband, Bert, can give her new information, she'll stay there. But he does. It seems that grimly Spock keeps the head um, of his first murder victim in his fridge. And there's like evidence that's been tossed into a rad pit as well. The judges check this out, find various bodies and arrest several Spock boys. <laughs> All seems well as Maybelline is released and given the reward money. Um, and Dredd's like, all right, like, off you go. But we want more squealing. We want more information tomorrow. You know, you got to keep it going. But instead, as she leaves Justice Central, a car comes screeching up and Maybelline gets shot at least six times in a drive-by shooting. It's Papa Spock get revenge for his sons being arrested. And as he's taken away, he says he was told about all this by the ghost of Bert Clinch. Oh, it's a double cross. Ghostly double cross. Well, and in the afterlife... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. anyone who's read 2000 AD knows that there's going to be some sort of double cross there. Yeah, but It's just absolutely. what kind of double and cross the, it was. <laughs> yeah. And in the afterlife, Burton May and Maybelline begin an argument that will last them the rest of their afterlife. You know, <laughs> how you set me up to be killed, but like, oh, but I know who tampered with the toaster that killed me and just back and forth and all this. Ah, <laughs> oh, ghostly domestic disturbances are the worst. But the end. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a fun story. The only problem I have with it. So as long if I hadn't known this already, it wouldn't be any kind of problem. But we've seen mm-hmm. Side Division. We've seen loads of ghosts in Mega City 1. So, yeah, judges treating her like she's mad because she's seen ghosts doesn't add up in the mythology yeah, of absolutely. Mega City One. But if we, yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. So if so if you hadn't read any other ghostly Mega City One stories, that'd be all fine, and you'd get this fun story where it's double cross in a punchline, but they're stuck with each other forever now. It's the kind of thing where yeah, you you might expect a new writer to Judge Dredd to come along and not know about the history. Mm-hmm. But this is written by John. Yeah, that's Wagner, Wagner writing yeah. this. He should know better. You know, I know. I know Wagner's not a big fan of continuity <laughs> either. He's sort of yeah. I'll, I write what I write now, but yeah, still. Mm-hmm. And yeah, well, I, yeah, that's it. Really. Yeah, I mean, so often my joke, like the joke I tell, or the, or the, or or they make. I know. I I I talk to Eli a lot about this in Big Meg One, but that the Justice Department has seen everything, you know, yeah. and they've got a department that can handle any weird thing, you know. So it seems like if she says she's getting information to a ghost, then they just refer her to like the exorcism department or something like that, you know. They wouldn't be as like. <laughs> They would be open to the possibility yeah. more than they are, I guess. Yeah, because they've got the devil in ISO Cube 666. I can't stress, like, you know, always. 
it's that like you gotta say like listen yeah the devil's in an iso cube dread's been a werewolf you know yeah. like, i can't you know he's got artificial eyes right now because he traveled to the future and a zombie put his eyes out you know yeah. like there's a lot going on you know he's, he's met um, he's met dracula right like, several I, yeah he killed dracula yeah in a in an amusement park yeah. you know <laughs> to say nothing of sexy vampire hershey but yeah listen I, yeah. I i i think that is kind of a ding against this one in terms of continuity and stuff and like you said yeah i think staples is still kind of figuring out his style here he's, yeah he's he, he's very bold like i i really i think this, this is a really strong style that he's coming into but i think it's also a little like confused or i don't know yeah it's just not that great i guess it's it's it's, it's rough i guess is what yeah. i'd say so i remembered staples from the early 90s is sort of being just one of the dread artists who wasn't as good as the previous generations mm. so when mm-hmm. when greg staples started putting in really good covers this century for rebellion mm-hmm. you know i kind of thought yeah. wow this artist is really great saw the name and thought what well, it's not the same greg staples from 20 years earlier <laughs> is it so yeah but there's just one or two pictures in here where you can see uh, it's basically the one with someone's head in a jar and lots of mm-hmm. uh, light effects. Like that one page has got a little glimpse of the kind of style that Greg has now. And then the rest, yeah. of, rest of it looks like a completely different artist. Definitely. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of... Evo- like I, th- I think we're seeing this with, with a couple artists, actually. There's these sort of... Um artists that have changed so much over the last 30 years or so in 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 these days i think like yeah it's an interesting thing i think like like nick percival's like that actually too who's been in the magazine a couple times yeah and He's, who else am i his think style's very different from what we see in the in the magazine these days yeah uh simon what's his name the person who does jaeger now or Jaeger. Oh, I've, oh, these names. Oh, they all blend together. It's because we've spoken about so many Simons in the last few minutes. There are there are too many Simons in in yeah. British comics. Yeah, I can't I can't stress enough that it it, it, it makes it tough to remember it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Simon Colby. That's yeah, def- one. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because he's he's another one. Yeah, where he's I got s- a very different style. Yeah, he's another these, one where I've seen troopers and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, he's another one where I've seen his current style. Looked at the name and thought, wait a minute, that that's not the same person from the nineties, is it? But yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Absolutely, yeah. These listen, you know, you can't stay still. You got to keep evolving and yep. stuff. But then you can say the same about <laughs> Speaking, sort of yeah. early Brett Hewins and then his later work as well. To me, they mm-hmm. look like almost different artists. Definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of evolution in there. But then it's also funny when you get somebody, I don't know, like, maybe it's too... Or no, actually, I guess everybody does change. Like, even, like, because if you look at, like, I, I mean, I think Ian Gibson's like this, too, if you kind of um, look at his, like, at, like, the earliest dreads and some of his recent ones we, we, we've seen on the podcast and just how much his style has has evolved in, the, in, 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 in this amount of time as well. It's cool. I think it's, like... That's the that's one of the the great things I think about 2000 AD generally and our and us and us all looking at it is just that we've got this really long timeline to see a, a pretty a relatively small stable of artists actually yep so we can sort of see them evolve and change as, as time goes by but yep, speaking of uh, things evolving in ways you wouldn't want them to let's go to thrill four indigo prime. 
maybe bringing back classics you might not actually want. <laughs> um, script robot John Smith, art robot Mick Austin, letting robot. Uh, sorry, it's just typed up. Um, John Smith, body horror story, as you do in these specials and annuals and everything else. Um, I think the art, like Mick Austin does, yes, just some like some little pictures throughout the story. I think this first one's really arresting, though, just with this lady, this uh, like a uh, uh, pretty lady's head with a beehive hairdo and black gloves sort of holding it up. And you can see the head severed and there's like blood yep. coming out of the stump and stuff like that. I think that's a really cool first image. Yeah, that, um, that first illustration, I, I think it's kind of a bit of a spoiler. It absolutely is. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a specific thing that happens later in the story, although I guess it's that without context or whatever, I guess. Yeah. I'm not um, entirely sure that these oh, pictures are printed in the right order. It's hard. To, I don't know. It's hard to tell with any of these dang, <laughs> any of these dang um, Indigo Prime stories. But yeah, I guess probably the second, the second picture could, should have been first and the third picture should have been the last one, I guess. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, but um, well, I'll, so this story is called the. Lo- oh, yeah, sorry. I'll talk about what the pictures are once you've actually done the recap of the story, and then Great. I'll, then I'll okay, say yeah, why definitely. I think they're in the wrong order. <laughs> cool. So this story is called uh, the Loa in the Machine, and a Loa is a god in like the voodoo tradition, or like yeah, from the re- from sort of native religions of Haiti. Although there's also like a lot of mixtures of. It's like, yeah, again, I don't know. I kind of call it voodoo, but I guess it's a sort of this mixture of Christianity and native stuff and um, uh, of, um, from native Haitians and things. It's a, it's, it's a really interesting thing. There's all these different gods and characters and it's cool. But yeah, got these loas. <laughs> anyway, um, Indigo Prime is registering a reality collision as a priestess is uh, starting a hairdressing business in Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> Scene shifters Mengel and Voigt are on the case, though Voigt doesn't like her partner. And then a girl, Mary Beth, wants the priestess, Mama Pentecost, to put her into contact with the spirit of Elvis, who's died recently. This is like 77 or so. The Indigo Prime agents follow a trail of unreality all the way to Graceland, which is, of course, in Memphis. The See, um, the, the, there's a seance to summon Elvis that seems to involve some hairdressing, I guess. That's how Mama Pentecost contacts the dead. The scene shifters come under attack from terrifying hair monsters as they approach Graceland. And then suddenly the, bo- and then the body of Elvis starts to form out of Mary Beth's hair, which does have some body horror elements as sort of Elvis incarnates and then hands lift Mary Beth's head right off her shoulders, you know, leading to that first image, that, that first picture. Um, so that she sees Elvis and then dies as all the blood leaves her, uh, her head. Anyway, it seems that same force is using energy to summon the Loa into real living beings. I've got a typo here that says real living beignets, which I think is pretty funny just because, you know, a lot of <laughs> Louisiana stuff also involved these Loas. Um, but anyway, going to make them out of hair. The Indigo Prime team fights a weird Elvis ghost and eventually they lose the battle. The day's lost and this reality is going to have to be shut down because it's been taken over by hair Loas. Oh, no. And that's the end. Bad times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly an upbeat ending on this one. 
No, no, it's very like it's it's very like Voight dying and then just no like well I guess we failed this time they'll have to reboot this reality that's a bummer yeah right so the story is written from two viewpoints the viewpoint of the person who wants to meet Elvis and mm-hmm. the viewpoint of the scene shifters or one of the scene shifters right so we get to find out a little bit about one of the scene shifters and her personality and the trouble that she has with her partner. And right. that, that's all the kind of thing that makes you think they're actually going to survive, but they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got a backstory and stuff. But I, th- yeah. I think also that's also just sort of some. T- that's just the little seasoning that I think uh, that um, Smith likes to toss in there as well to make you, I don't know, care about somebody a little bit more. He does. I, I think he just likes making up these Indigo Prime characters actually because yeah. it's, it's always different people doing these jobs. It's almost never the same. Uh, the same folks doing them. Yeah. There's only one or two. It's like that guy in the suit that looks like stars. Yeah. Yeah, the the original ones yeah. whose names I also forget at the top of my yeah. head. But who have appeared more recently, like in the most recent Indigo Prime story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so the pictures. Yeah. The first one published or printed is the mm-hmm. de- decapitated head with some disembodied gloves. Right. And because there's quite. Which, a, which comes right in like the middle of the story or so, yeah. to, towards the end, actually. And also in the text, there's lots of mystery about uh, how many hands there are when people are blindfolded and get their hair cut. So that's obviously supposed to be a mystery, but it's right there mm-hmm. on the first page. Right. And then, right. And then a second picture is a kind of generic hairstyle, a little bit like Hooligan's haircut, but without a big hole in the middle. So I think that would <laughs> right. be more suitable on the first page. Right, then, when Mary Beth sees this other girl who's just had her hair done by, by Mama Pentecost. Yeah. And she says it's a really nice haircut. And right. then the third image is lots of random people being um, kind of disassembled and turned into yeah. the power lower thing, which I think is towards the end. And then the fourth image is Elvis, which I think should have been earlier on. <laughs> So yeah, ghostly reassembled skeleton Elvis, yeah. yeah. So to me, it looks like they've commissioned four pictures and then printed them in the wrong order. Yeah, although I, I think at least some of it, like, I don't know. I will say that the opening image, I think, is the best one yeah. of, of of the four here. So I could see opening, like, I don't know, as an editor opening with that one, just to sort of be like, ooh, I want to see what why this is why that why this lady's head has been cut off yeah in the story i guess yeah anyway that's my thought so then it's maybe a teaser not a spoiler or something like that but i I definitely understand what you're saying for sure um but yeah listen hey we're making editorial decisions (laughs) and speaking of these editors (laughs) let's go to thrill five tharg the mighty script robot uh the mighty one Art robot Eric Bradbury, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Another one of these Eric Bradbury stories doing the lifting around the theme of the special or annual. We're seeing these a lot in these 2080 <laughs> ones. Um, so we didn't really remark on it uh, on the show at the time. But in Prague 800, 2000 AD's home address changed from Greater London House on Hampstead Road in London to Edgemont House on Tavistock Place in London. Ah, right. And I should say that 
Oh, so good. So Greater London House, I think, is opposite Mornington Crescent Tube Station and is a fantastic Art Deco building that has cats outside it. Oh, nice. Which everyone should go yeah, to. I don't know how, how, how true to form all these places are, but this is, you know, I don't know. I just noticed the, like, yeah, in 800, they do change the address. And I should also mention, I guess, Edgemont is the name that the Danish company that currently owns 2000 AD, they bought it from Maxwell. Um, they'll change their name to Edgemont in 93, I guess. Yeah. Or sometime, at, at some point they will, I guess. Um, anyway, <laughs> the Nerve Center has a new home now. We see a bunch of creative droids with their sticks and bindles in hand arriving at a spooky mansion on a moor. You know, as all spooky mansions are in England, I assume. Um I recognize, of course, uh, Bert, the Richard Burton bot, uh, Mac 2 with his bit with his uh, upturned baseball cap. That's the Alan McKenzie bot. Um, Igroid, the Igor Goldcoin, uh, Goldkind bot, and uh, uh, Tama Tomlinson, the uh, John Tomlinson robot as well. Who's sort of? I feel like this is his breakout. He hasn't shown up in these stories a lot, but um, this is his big, big, big appearance in these editorial stories. And he'll become sub editor, and I believe in the eight forties, as I recall. And, and then eventually ed, um, editor himself. Yeah. And there's Bishop. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Um, sorry. Did you mention yeah, Bishop? Later we'll see, we'll see Bishop yeah. as well. The other uh, Dave Bishop droid um, editing the magazine and stuff like that. Um, the droids are greeted at the door by the massive form of Grouch, who's sort of a robot Frankenstein type or robot Frankenstein's monster type, if that's how you want to be. <laughs> um the droids filter out, but they find their offices to be wanting. Bishop finds that the magazine uh, office is just a br- is a broom closet full of brooms. And when Bert opens up the door to a nerve center, it goes straight into a brick wall. The droids then begin cleaning up the place, but it's a losing battle, man. This place is a dump. <laughs> There's, you know, plaster falling everywhere. Bert spent all possible remodeling money on candy. Things look bad until Tharg himself shows up and explains that they're actually still stuck in the Camden Triangle, but it's now winking out of existence, Bermuda Triangle-like, and trying to keep them there by making any place they move to now seem like their worst nightmares. And because it's related to their worst nightmares, it uh, summons Igroid's terrifying Aunt Hernia as well. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, there's only one thing to do, and that's God mode our way out of it. So everybody puts a finger on one of the things on the Rosette of Sirius, which is weird. And then they, like, spin around like a helicopter around Tharg's forehead and find themselves at the shiny new... Um, Edgemont House offices. Oh, they're very nice. Gleaming in the darkness and so forth. (laughs) Um, They're greeted by a fun new grouch wearing a Hawaiian shirt who attends to their every needs, blow-drying feet, etc. And Camden Triangle, meanwhile, is flying around the Crab Nebula being weird. I had a look... (laughs) Yeah, just kind of a... Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I had a look on Street View. Ah, and yeah, I could find this building, and it does look a lot like that still. Oh, nice! I don't know if it's still <laughs> owned by the same company. But yeah, it does look like that. It's uh, about five minutes from Kings Cross Station. I was confused <laughs> by the Camden Triangle thing because I thought they'd moved here from Kings Reach Tower. No, but this what, is what you like say a, about a, a second or third move. I think yeah. they they 
had been in like I think in the with with Maxwell in like the early like in the really late 80s they'd moved out of King's Reach and into um into the uh, Camden Triangle yeah. is my understanding of the timeline I guess that, that Greater London House uh, opposite Mornington Crescent that is at the southern end of Camden High Street so yeah that makes a lot of sense nice yeah I mean you know it is sort of these different sort of office building e places i guess or office type establishments <laughs> just not the uh not the big high rise of the of the earliest times you know though i think they still have there's still some stuff in king's reach like i believe um yeah like if you look in in the progs of this era like the uh the circulation and trade industries still um trade inquiries still go to king's reach or something there's like some corporate stuff there or something like that yeah um yeah, I don't know. This just feels like, again, all of these Tharg stories, you know, again, presumably written by Burton or, or Mackenzie, they always feel very self-indulgent because, you know, they've got, they're built around caricatures of the editors and they're often about sort of inside baseball things, you know. Yeah. I don't know if too many people had really noticed that where the uh, the home address of the back of the of the comic had changed. <laughs> I know I hadn't noticed until they brought it up here. I guess it's just you you only really know it from like the legal text at the bottom of the nerve center in, in, in every issue. Yep. I guess where the damage report is in uh, today's comics. Yeah, and then you skip the bit above the damage report anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm just trying to see these updates. <laughs> um. Yeah, but I guess you know again more more discussion of these classic 2000 AD comics, and and when we're talking about classics, we got to talk about Thrill Six Nemesis the Warlock. This is the reprint material in this uh, in this special um, script robot Pat Mills, art robot Kev O'Neill, letting robot Steve Potter, um, and this is. All of this stuff was originally reprint was originally printed in the uh, 1981 sci-fi special. Um, this story and this opening section as well, um, with like these field reports or hit files about the different um, <laughs> villains of uh, Nemesis. Sorry, I hadn't realized that that was uh, just reprinted wholesale. Oh yeah, these uh, these field reports are also from the original. Annual, which is part of why when they have, um, if you see there, um, one of the cards is about Nemesis the Warlock, and the picture for it is just the Blitzbeer flying off into space. And it's because we hadn't actually seen Nemesis in the comics at this point. Yep. No, I think. I have just got the 1981 sci fi special, and yeah, it's exactly the same. The whole six pages yeah. in the same order. And. So, yeah, like I think depending on when you would have gotten the special in in 81, it might like you might have gotten that one issue where they've got Nemesis hiding in like the border on the cover or something like that. But I think this is sort of generally where you see Nemesis for the first time, I think. Yeah. Um so we see a bunch of rebels awaiting execution in the dungeons of Termite and they'll of course later be saved in another Nemesis story. Um most of them will. And an L what? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, most of them will. You're right. <laughs> as an, I don't think this old guy will actually. But no. um, as an elder tells the story of Nemesis to comfort the children that are in prison, there, it's the story of Excessius, the Sword Sinister, of how 
Torquemada came to Ulrich, the last descendant of the warrior Mstrun, and the only one who could wield the sword. Oric is sent to cross the galaxy to find the blade. He travels to, to a distant star city where he fights space pirates and wins the love of the Lady Tanith. While losing a leg in the process, he travels to Novala, where he fights and tames a massive Nova pig to traverse a deadly grass forest. He fights a huge robot known as Gorebelly and climbs a mountain swarming with deadly dragon vultures. At last, in the body of a dead warlock, Ulrich, now missing an eye and an arm and just wearing the battle scars of this massive adventure, draws the sword, takes a moment to rest, only for the sword sinister to be taken and used against him by Nemesis the Warlock himself. Oh, yeah. And we get this sweet first full body picture of Nemesis here. Looking, re- looking very swashbuckling, actually, with a cape and armor and boots and stuff. Very cool. Yeah, you got to be a stylish demon. It's the only way, you know. Yeah. I think he's even got like a, uh, like a, a, um, like like a harness or something going against the go, going across the baleen on on his neck. Um, yeah, so Nemesis look, looking cool. Um, he then went on to kill just a ton of humans with that sword, and it was great that he finally got it back because it seems that the ancient warrior Mstran had actually stolen the sword from him many years ago, but that's a story for another day. Oh, I wish we'd get it. I don't think we ever do, actually. No, but we do get another story from this alien who's telling him back. As I said, um, mm-hmm. when there's a great breakout from Termite, they forget to take him. And at the beginning of Nemesis right. Book 2, he's still around speaking to the cleaner who's washing the floor. And he tells her the story of a young Thomas de Torquemada when he got kidnapped. That's right. Oh, you're right. Of course. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It's all coming back to me. Yeah. Those, um, those, those were. Was was that Redondo who did? Yes, book, it was. Yeah, b- book two. Yes, yeah, that's right. With the spiders and stuff like that. Yep. Oh man, I gotta I gotta reread Nemesis. <laughs> that's exciting. That's good stuff. <laughs> you should always reread re- Nemesis. It's worth doing. I mean, it's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I just you know gotta find find the time or whatever. Um, so then there's just a quick ad for Tharg's Future Shop. It's the same one we've got in the in the progs um, with the T-shirt and a sweatshirt, mug, pins, and uh, the uh, the trading cards and the thing to hold the trading cards in, I guess. Yeah, the only thing here I actually got was the mug. And I don't know where it is at the moment. I couldn't find it. I was looking for it today so if I could sit from oh, my no. mug while we were recording. <laughs> And I'd These probably, lost mugs, yeah. so sad. And I would have uh, Farg Vermites' database, which is a sticker album. But that is because it was given away free with Prog 750 to 752, it says. Yes, yeah, the uh, the album and a couple of the of, of the sheets of stickers or cards or whatever were, was with the progs, and you had to send away to get the rest of them, basically. Yeah. I think these are, yeah. So you had two types of uh, album like that at the time. You'd have... Panini, normally Panini, sticker albums, which were either mm-hmm. Star Wars, another film, or football stickers. Mm-hmm. And you'd also have similar things for tea and cigarettes in the early 80s anyway. And they, uh, they wouldn't this be feels, stickers. feels like an evolution of stamp collecting to me, if, you, um, <laughs> yes, it is. if I'm being honest. Yeah. <laughs> so when you got your tea, you'd have these little cards with it, and then you'd send off for an album. But they wouldn't be sticky. Mm-hmm. You'd actually have to glue them in yourself. 
Right. Yeah. I think I, I remember that a little bit, or I, maybe I remember seeing like people who had albums of those. I don't think we had those very much in, a, in, in the US at the time, I guess, or maybe, I don't know, before my time, maybe. Yeah. It's hard to tell with this stuff. It's, it's on the verge <laughs> so of then, being before my time as well. It's sort of, yeah, it's very, very, very old school kind of uh, collection options here. Yeah. Um, then just another ad. Then after that, there's another ad just for the 93 yearbooks. And again, this is the same ad we see in the progs most weeks with pictures of the covers and that one dude whose cheeks are blowing up and stuff like that. Yep. Um, the theme of artwork and, and Brexit by the looks of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've had, and we covered those early a couple weeks ago, these dang annuals or yearbooks, <laughs> I guess now. Oh man. Moving along. Only two more, two more of those to go. Very, or two more of each, I guess, you know, disturbing time for Conrad scheduling the show in the future. Um, <laughs> And speaking of, of disturbing times, let's go <laughs> to Thrill 7, Tales from Beyond Science. Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Ryan Hughes, letting robot Ellie DeVille. Just another one of these Tales from Beyond Science here. Um, the different shades of gray in this story imply to me that this was a color story that's been grayscaled. Um Hillary Tremaine, the narrator, opens up sitting in an attic with a pet pterodon. And if you look closely, you can see a box that says bird food with some kids inside of it. Be careful, kids. Um, but he's mostly here to Rod Serling us, you know, tell us about the story of the missing month of Arachne. Um, and to do that, we've got to go to the basement of a council house in Northampton. It's owned by Amadeus Dunn, who guards this secret with his life. He's shown his grandson around the uh, around this basement. It's full of old-timey stuff, I guess. Like a, an old time machine, he says. Um, various, like, film cameras and geegaws and copies of Hustler and things like that. Until finally... He shows his grandson a jar full of spiders and explains about the 13th month of the year. It used to fall between December and January in the depths of winter and where young men would die and giant spiders would crawl out of their mouths and threaten everybody. Bad times, literally bad times, bad month. Uh, <laughs> luckily, some dude in Luton tricked the month into a honey jar and it's been safe and locked away ever since i don't even know if they're they say that this is around the time of uh it was locked up like around the time of jesus and i don't even know if there was a Luton back then but i'll take their word for it i guess <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure there wasn't anything called Luton back then just you know there might have been a hobble side there. british stuff i guess yeah. you might have been <laughs> updating the area for modern sensibilities ah that's certainly possible, yeah. So Amadeus entrusts the jar to his grandson. Never trust a woman with the jar. They're in league with the spiders. <laughs> anyway, Amadeus dies, and now Timmy, the grandson, is in charge of the month. But he worries about keeping it at home. Like, what if his mom finds it or if it gets tossed out by accident or something? So he decides to go out and bury it in the woods. That seems fine. But he forgot about all the stuff that lives underground, about the hunger that drives all things. And soon, I guess, like a ground spider or a mole or something breaks the glass. 
And as Tibby runs home, he's ensnared in a giant spider web. As the sky goes black and his blood runs cold and a giant spider towers over him. Now, boys are disappearing in the Northampton woods. And it's only a matter of time before winter comes. <laughs> I thought this was a fun little story. I don't know. Yeah, it keeps like, him off of Robo Hunter, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I thought it was like... I don't know. A little creepy. I like this giant spider at the end. That's pretty solid. Yeah. Um, when like I, inoffensive. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> when I saw that it was written by Mark Miller, uh, I wasn't expecting to enjoy it. And I did enjoy it more than I thought I was going to. I mean, I'll say that I think Mark Miller wrote the best of the tales beyond, beyond science in the Prague. Yep. Um, I think he, he he did the one with the men in red and stuff like that. Yeah. That was very weird and had a moment where I like feel like I remember reading that one at night and getting a little like, ooh, like, I don't know about this. I'm a little Yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm a little affected by this. I've been listening um, in a way to, that other folks didn't, I guess. Yeah. I've been listening to your podcast, but I've not actually reread any of those uh tales from behind science. But yeah, this is. I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessary to do so. Like the, they're very much just ju- ju- just throw away future shocks for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think we'll get one more of these in the '94 uh, sci-fi special. So something to look forward to there, I guess. Um, also look forward to after Tales from Beyond Science. There's an ad just for the 2080 Weekly. Basically, big things are coming in 2000 AD. Put in an order now or be annihilated. And indeed, the whole picture, the uh, the co- the uh, the image for this is a big old um, armored Gideon just shouting at everybody as you do. Yep. And we'll get an armored Gideon story uh, later in, uh, or and actually no, pretty early in '93, as I recall. Yeah, it looks like a scene from a story rather than just a, a pinup kind of picture. Don't know if it actually appears in Progress. Yeah, that's definitely something I'm going to keep an eye out for as well, because I, I, I agree. Um, it looks too big like, to appear in the actual story, though. Like, it's too detailed. Yeah. Or it could just be like, I don't know, like a uh, like a splash page or something like that. Yeah. yeah Simon Jacob draws like uh, Gideon's b- breaking through. And then there's all these there's like a bunch of like, actually, there's one person the tied original? up. There's one person tied up. So it definitely looks like it is from an actual scene. Yeah. It's not just a poster. Let me actually... No, I thought it was from the first Armored Gideon story, but they do it in a slightly different way. But it does have a very similar look. Like, it has, like, the same characters are in the first Armored Gideon. Like, the first page of Armored Gideon has a very similar scene to this. Yep. um, With, actually, some of these same characters holding a gun on a tied-up guy as... um, as a photographer looks on or whatever, yeah. you know, as, as the main guy, um, Frank. what's his name? Frank. Yeah. As, as Frank White's, um, takes pictures of the, uh, of the captured, um, like ambassador or something like that. And then Armored Gideon shows up. So I think this is just an alternate look at that same first edition of Armored Gideon. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's keep talking about, uh, deadly robots. And move on to Thrill 8, Black Blood. All right. Script robot Pat Mills, art robot Kev Walker, letting robot Annie Parkhouse, Black Blood of the ABC Warriors, of course. A lot of Pat Mills in this special. I mean, with the reprint, too, it's three Pat Mills stories. That's pretty amazing. Yep. Um, So I'm a big fan of Nemesis, so you can tell why I picked this 
went to special to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. There's some great Nemesis stuff. And I like this Black Blood story, actually, as well. I, um, you know, Black Blood, of course, is a former general of the Volgan Empire, a robot who loves treachery and betrayal. But we don't really know much more about him than that. So, hey, what's his, what's his deal? What's his history? And now let's have a quick prequel, um, you know, backstory for a Black, for a black Blood. It's a good time. A Volgan marshal is getting updates on pro- on something called Project Judas, where the uh, evil mad scientist Professor Zakharov is building a robot capable of lying and treachery. Blackblood's the final model he's built for this project, and this like marshal type is basically like, you got one week. Or we're going to pull the project. And Black Blood, you know, he's a decent enough fighter and stuff, but he's a goody two-shoes. You know, he'll help an enemy kid find his way home or f- find her way home or whatever. You know, it's no good. We got to get this guy to be evil. In desperation, as you do, Zakharov turns to the occult. <laughs> got to get some mystic stuff in here. He wires Black Blood, who is covered in alchemy symbols, lying in a pentagram surrounded by uh, candles and stuff. He ties them into a uh, a man and a woman who are strapped into uh, metal chairs, also covered in occult stuff. Um, and basically, these two chairs are facing each other, and they've each got a clamp around their neck. And there's a button on the chairs they can press that will clamp the, they'll close the clamp around the other's neck. And they're like, you know, basically they can choose like, and the professor says, only one of you has to die. And so these two lovers are faced with the ultimate price of, you know, the ultimate sacrifice of, you know, one of them dying for the other. But instead, as usually, as would actually happen in these kinds of situations, instead of a noble sacrifice, like, the the man gets afraid of death and then tries to choke the woman instead. And it's like, oh, but like, you know, you like, I, I sure, I love you, but I want to live and you've got a sister. And they just sort of start choking and counter choking each other back and forth until finally they each kill each other and these multiple little betrayals filter right into deadlock's robot brain and make him just a font of robot treachery oh no and they both die (laughs) yeah oh yeah they both they both end up killing each other absolutely as they just start like calling each other yeah worm cow rat fink as they like biz the buttons to progressively choke and unchoke each other it's kind of a fun yeah it's a pretty funny like uh moment of levity in here (laughs) with this treachery treacherousness a week later we're gonna see a field display of black blood's uh, treachery of his betrayals and stuff we see him offer a bunch of soldiers um, a chance to surrender and then gun them down once they've sort of um, given themselves up and have disarmed (laughs) We see him using a child's voice to trick a woman into like coming after the child and then shooting her in the face, sh- shooting the lady in the face as it's revealed that that black blood is is uh, synthesizing that voice, kind of a predator kind of thing, like the movie Predator. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. Um, and then finally, instead of um, going after a civilian hospital, Black Blood attacks Z- Professor Zakharov himself. Though the doctor does manage to pull a gun and shoot Black Blood in the eye, the robot does indeed kill his own creator and cement himself as the most evil robot in history. And he decides to keep 
the eye that was blown out missing as a reminder of his finest act of treachery, killing his own creator. And I thought this was a fun little backstory, you know, Um, just what this guy's deal is, why he's only got one eye, etc. I do remember having reservations at the time because it basically ended up uh, having two ABC warriors with occult origins. But thinking about mm, it... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but they are totally different kinds of origins. Like, Deadlock is a cult, and that is his origin. And Black Blood is most, yeah. mostly mechanical, but there's just this little thing to activate treachery, and then everything after that is not a cult. But yeah, I remember Absolutely. at the time yeah, I, um, yeah. thinking it was like two people with similar origins, but they're not really. Yeah, and I mean, I, and I feel like... There's actually also I feel like some similarities with Black with a uh, debt with a uh, sorry with Hammerstein because I believe he kills he killed his creator as well like in a jealous rage or something like that. Yeah, as I recall from some of those early Bisley ABC Warriors, or there was something involved with that. I guess it, um, it was an SMS episode uh, where he actually did. That's that. right. Yeah, and I think he killed yeah. one of his two uh, roboticists or cyberneticists. Okay. Yeah, it's a part that really reminded me of a of a RoboCop at the time and the sort of the montage where they build RoboCop and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Good stuff. And then we finish up because that's the final story of the special with oh, a really before, nice... Before you say oh, that, sorry. before you say that, you just know that Black Blood is going yeah. to kid his creator, though. Oh, yeah. You can't, Listen, you I can't mean, create yeah. the ultimate betrayer and then expect them not to betray you. Yeah. You, you'd think you would see it coming, you know? Yeah. But... um. I guess that's what happens when you build things for like part of what part of what makes treachery possible is people believing that, you know, the snake won't bite me or something like that for sure. Um, And so that takes us to the end of the special, which ends with this amazing uh, pinup by Chris Weston of Nemesis, the warlock in a spacesuit with the sword sinister walking through an alien landscape. I like to give bonus points because he does have the sword sinister in his left hand. Um, and while it's not exact, this suit reminds me a lot of the, of a uh, Brian Talbot's nemesis covers and the look of nemesis from like 438 and 487. That's sort of um, that Talbot era of nemesis. He wore suits like this, like a spacesuits like this, basically. Although, Weston does draw Nemesis as having green skin instead of black skin, which is a pretty big difference for the character. Yeah. But uh, I think a lot of Kevin O'Neill's pictures, he's got more green skin. I think, so yeah, it's, like- it's hard to tell just because I think Nemesis also is, he's very dark in the comics, but they're black and white. So it's yeah. hard to figure out the exact color of things from there for sure. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's it's weird for me, honestly. And it was like this in the story in this one, too, just seeing Nemesis stuff in color. I'm not I'm not used to it no. as a color story. I guess it feels like such a archetypal black and white one. Yeah. When I've seen him in color, it's mostly been from the covers of the 1980s Titan collections. OK. And those were fully painted by. Yeah. Uh, let me just have a look. They're just within arm's reach. Because, <laughs> you know, Nemesis always has to be within arm's reach. That is how I've set up my life. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, so book one is Kevin O'Neill. Book two, Mm -hmm. which is actually book three, because they left out Redondo's stuff, is also Kevin O'Neill. Book three in Titan is actually book four for Gothic Empire, so that's Brian Talbot. And then more Brian Talbot, Brian Talbot, Brian Talbot doing Talking Art of a God. 
And then mm-hmm. Brian Talbot doing a cover for Two Talking Mardis, even though it's a John Hickinson story. Brian Talbot again mm-hmm. for Purity's story, which was David Roach. And then Brian Talbot right. again for Deathbringer, which is where he went off to 1980s UK. Right. Which with, was another John Hickinson. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, they're all painted color. Nice. Yeah. No, I'm looking at these now. They're lovely for sure. All right. But hey, with that. We've reached the end of the 1992 winter special. All right. And so, Sheridan, I must know, what are your top and bottom thrills for this special? Okay, my top one is easy. It is Bride of the Warlock. Um, it is a sort of return to form after the Nemesis versus or Nemesis and Deadlock stories, which they didn't really grab me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sure. this, this was much better, much more on track. Uh, kind of has Termite as a character, a bit like Judge Dredd has Mega City One as a character. Termite right. is yeah, also definitely. a character. Um, the only criticism I'd have is that the Terminators are a little bit pastel in this story. Mm. You know, it works mm-hmm. like Chris Weston is a fantastic artist, as we all know, and all of those colors work on something like Killing Time. But I think Termite was just a little bit too bright, it should be dingier. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I feel like that's a side effect of of so much of it being black and white as well that I feel I sort of imagine as being very stark, I guess, very, very gothic in that way. Yeah. But the artwork itself is fantastic. Uh, I'm just not entirely sure how well it matches Terminators because they're all dressed in bright colors. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Bride of the Warlock is easily the best top thrill there. And my bottom thrill... um, I was looking at the Fargo Mighty story and the Judge Spread story, and I, I didn't really want to mark down uh, Fargo Mighty just because it's easy to do that. Um, <laughs> but also because when else do we get to see Eric Bradbury's work? He's not been in a prog for about 10 years before this. He's only been in Absolutely. sci-fi specials. Yeah, he's been a v- v- very heavily, though, in these in these yeah. specials and annuals, for sure. And I think we're going to get two more Farg the Mighty stories, and then that's all we're going to get in, in the pages of Farg's uh, publications. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be in a few other IPC, Fleetway, Egmont kind of youth titles, but nothing actually in 2008. Yeah. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just because Mega City One judges should know about ghosts and side division and exorcism division. <laughs> if it wasn't for that, because the story itself is good, but it's just mm-hmm. having judges skeptical that ghosts exist. Right. It, it doesn't make sense yeah, with the. Uh, it gets in my way too much. In the world we've established. Yeah. Yeah. And for sure. So, what's your top and bottom thrills? Oh man! I mean, I'll certainly join you with Nemesis as my top uh, as as my top story. Really liked it. Really liked all this. Just this um, getting these characters back. I'm uh, you know a, a happy Candida is nice. And again, like like you said, kind of a return to form of Nemesis and um, and Torquemada, sort of you know sword fighting and being enemies and stuff like that. Like you know, I I, 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 I like that one image of um nemesis and candida like coming out of the out of the church with like all the 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 dead guys behind them and stuff like that there's a lot to like in this story um yeah and 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 like you said yeah i don't know i just think it's it's generally pretty fun um 
I think for my bottom, I mean, I'll, I think I'll say uh, Tales from Beyond Science, actually. I thought the story was okay, but I thought this, while it doesn't make a lot of sense, I thought the Dread story was was kind of fun, just in terms of, I don't know, like this weird domestic relationship that this lady has with her ghost husband and stuff like that. I thought that was fine. I really liked Black Blood as well. That's a close top for me. I thought, that, like, just... I thought that that the Black Blood story was the perfect use of an annual story, actually, to do some backstory for a character you know, but not essential to knowing who that character is. You know, so just some further adventures that won't really affect the the further plot and things like that. Yep. Um, and then Tales from Beyond Science, you know, it's just sort of a future shock. I thought it was a little spooky, but honestly, like, in comparison to the other stuff in here, it's definitely like a, 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 a tier below. It's just sort of a random future shock, you know. And so for me, I'm happy to put that on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We've reached the end here. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k. If you have everything else, Space Spinner 2000, we, we, we should be there. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, Zim Kipmiller, and your friends at the 2000 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent awards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Sheridan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, where can we find you on the internet if you'd like to be found? You can find my blog, The Back Frog Hack, on Sheridan Wild, with an E on the end, dot wordpress.com. And I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Excellent blog. Um, just, yeah, d- doing, covering uh, the, 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 the progs issue by issue. And then you've also done a lot of, like, I, I know you covered Star-Lord and Tornado and a couple other... Um, like dread or 2000 AD adjacent things like the daily dreads and things like that as well. Yeah. So the last thing I actually published was the daily dreads for 1984. And the next thing, as I say, keeping a little bit of mystery, it's something not actually published by IPC at the time. It's uh, something a bit further away, which is why it's taking me so long. And then, all right. I and think then we're after all, that, I'm looking one, forward to that for sure. Yeah, after that one gets published, uh, it'll be back to the weekly progs for a while, which should be a little bit faster for me today. Nice. Fantastic. Always happy to see folks, you know, talking about this 2080 stuff, because I think the more voices that are talking about it, the better, just so that we get people who are, you know, talking about these comics and stuff. They aren't just, don't just get, you know, passed over as we, as, as, as things move on i don't know i think it's exciting um so thank you so much for coming on the show um everybody who's listening come back next week as we hold our 1992 year in review shows um we'll be looking at best art best writing overall thrill and mvp as um for 1992 there's been some great stuff this year and feel free to send in your nominations and if you get them into me soon then we will read them on the show very exciting. Oh, is it time for spinners and megas soon then? 
Yeah, that's right. Spinny oh, and Maggie season cool. is upon us. So Fantastic. hopefully you've been getting them into me all this week as these specials come in, sort of separating out the regular issues from those things. But yeah, definitely. I want to hear what you think. Come on, tell me, whatever. Um, <laughs> but until we put on our tuxedos for those events, I'm Godready Sheridan. We are Space Spinner 2000. Splendig Vathrig. Everyone thinks I should be afraid of you, but I'm not.